Today's scripture is Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. And that's the word of the Lord. All right, good morning. My name is Dan Konzik, and it's my privilege to be able to proclaim God's word this morning. Um, I'm one of four guys who are wrapping up a uh, two and a half year course of study called Pastors Leadership Institute. And so thank you for sharing with me in the culmination of that. And uh, it's just so neat to be able to open up God's word. And we get a glimpse into the the church in Philippi. These two women, Iodia and Syntyche, these two sisters in Christ, God bless them, who are forever remembered as the two ladies who had that one fight, that conflict that they couldn't resolve. And it's pretty amazing to me that uh, we can read this account of their disagreement and Paul's plea for them to press on towards unity. And it not only applies, obviously, to these two ladies and to their church 2,000 years ago, but it applies to each of us and to this church and God's bigger global church. As a guy standing up here preaching for the first time, I take a lot of comfort in that fact that God's word is living and active. And it's God's word, not mine, that leads us to salvation. It's God's word, not mine, that transforms hearts and minds. And it's God's word and not mine that brings us closer to our creator. So praise God for that. As a lot of the other guys that have preached this uh, summer have said, it's been our prayer since the beginning that whenever we're standing up here speaking, that the Lord would eliminate any distractions that you might have in your life this morning, including who's up here preaching, and that you'd be able to focus on God's truth that's living and active and that it has direct application for us as it did 2,000 years ago. When Paul wrote and these poor ladies uh, that will be forever remembered uh, because the Holy Spirit directed Paul to write their names in a letter to the Philippian church that was not only read in front of their whole body, but then passed around from church to church and now forever remains as part of God's holy scripture. So that is my prayer for all of us, that we'd be able to eliminate distractions and that we'd be able to focus on God's truth and his word that instructs us to press on towards unity. Because I imagine that all of us have seen the impact of unresolved conflict and how disunity tears apart relationships, how disunity divides churches, how it crashes ministries, and how it breaks up friendships and marriages and families. Disunity in all of its forms it has serious impacts on the gospel witness of individuals and of God's church. And it has a serious impact on our relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ. The scripture this morning, it encourages us to be united as God's church, united as adopted sons and daughters of the living creator, our Lord, united as citizens of God's eternal kingdom, united because we were all saved from our wicked sins by the amazing grace of our Lord, who, because he first loved us, sent his son to live a perfect life 
and to be crucified in our place for our sins and to be raised in glory. Praise God for that. United because uh, unity is joyful, right? It's just more fun to be united with our brothers and sisters. United because uh, unity brings joy to us and it brings joy to the Lord. And united because the gospel testimony of each of us and of God's church doesn't really truly reflect the life, death, and resurrection of Christ if we're not eager to forgive like Christ forgives us. Disagreement, even between believers of this church, we don't need to kid ourselves, it will come. Are we prepared to press on towards unity when this disagreement and conflict arises? Bethany and I, we've been married for a little over 10 years. Um, And since, obviously, we're both believers, she's been just this perfect wife and partner for 10 years, and I've been a godly provider and leader, right? No, that's not how that works. As sinners saved by grace, sinners who know each other as well as any two people can on this earth, we sometimes have disagreements. Maybe you do too. We disagree on how to spend money. We disagree sometimes on how to spend a Saturday. We disagree on whether vacation means that we get to this new location, we hit the ground running and see and do everything you can possibly do like you're supposed to do on vacation, or whether vacation means you hunker down and you read some books and play games. We disagree on ministry too. Um, I used to have a really bad habit of inviting people over to our house for a meal or whatever it might be without talking to my wife. Yeah, right? Yeah. (laughs) True story. We'd be walking from church to our car, and Bethany would start to tell me about how she was so excited to get home and work in the garden together and uh, just kind of relax and hang out. And then, oh, we need to go to Costco later because we're totally out of food. And I'd interrupt her, and I'd say, oh, hey, Bethany, I got to tell you about this family I met at church today. They just moved to the area. Their kids are like the same ages as bars. The guy likes to hunt. And you're going to love this lady um, when they come to our house in 45 minutes. <laughs> My beautiful, patient wife would lovingly look at me, and she'd remind me that our house is a mess. The kids need to take naps. And remember how we were going to go to Costco? We still don't have any food to feed these people. Honestly, because of our sinfulness, these disagreements have at times developed into a conflict that has impacted our relationship. It's impacted our kids. It's impacted um, others around us. And it's impacted our shared joy of the gospel work. And if we don't address disagreements in a way that is selfless and full of love and based on our common relationship, as a sinner saved by grace, disagreement becomes conflict. And conflict can have a massive impact on the biblical unity that God desires for his church, of his sons and daughters. So a few questions to consider this morning as we dig into God's desire for us to press on towards unity. What relationships are there in your life today that require reconciliation? Where is that disunity? Where is that disagreement and conflict? Who are you avoiding because of disagreements and conflict? And if you don't have any of this type of relationship where there's disagreement and conflict in your life today, praise God, but do you know anybody that does? Do you know anybody in your community group or in this body or your extended circles who does? We're going to look at what God's word instructs um, for in that role as well. This morning, we're going to discuss God's desire for his church. That's all who have put their faith in Christ alone to be united by the blood of Christ. 
Unity glorifies God. A united church who handles disagreements and conflicts well, worships the Lord, and lives out the sacrificial love of the gospel. A united church is better equipped to do the work that the Lord has for us and to serve the Lord and others for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And we're going to see this morning how disagreement and conflict often comes with those who we're closest with, those who know us, those who we're honest and open with. Oftentimes, that's where we see disagreements. And we're going to discuss what it looks like to press on towards unity. Let's pray. Our Lord, we love you. I praise you that your word speaks to us in the same way that it did to your church 2,000 years ago, that your word is living and active and uh, that we have um, the opportunity to come and worship you through the proclamation of your good news. God, I pray that you eliminate any distractions that we have this morning, that we can focus on you. And God, I pray that we would all be eager and sit in anticipation that you have something for our hearts this morning and that we'd be able to take that and apply it to our lives throughout the rest of this week. God, we love you. I pray that the result of this morning would be a church who is united together, united because of you and for you, and that our disunity, our arguments, our disagreements would be resolved quickly so that it wouldn't hinder our gospel proclamation to those who don't know you, Lord. And God, I pray that everybody here through this morning, this time of worship, would uh, have a desire to love you more and would grow closer to you every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so as we've been discussing in Philippians this whole summer, Paul is in prison and he's writing to the church in Philippi. He's writing to not only the first church that he planted in Europe, but it's a church that still is filled with people who he loves people that he's ministered alongside, and some of his dearest friends and and companions. Listen to Paul's affection and love in his introduction to this letter. Philippians 1, 3 through 8. says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. And because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Because of Paul's love and adoration for this church, he's saddened to the point of pleading with them to press on towards unity so that their gospel witness would be strong and effective. He's entreating them to handle disagreements and conflict in a way that mirrors Christ's love for us and in so doing advances the gospel work instead of destroying it. So let's look again at verse 1 in chapter 4. We read, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. That therefore, at the beginning of the sentence, it takes us back a a couple of verses to verses 20 and 21 in chapter 3. Those verses, when we read it all together, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body 
by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul is reassuring his friends that although there, are, there is disagreement and conflict in this church, that we can stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm in the truth that our citizenship is in heaven. Stand firm that we have a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Looking through this lens of eternity together in the presence of the Lord, that should impact our view of disagreements and the conflict that might arise between brothers and sisters in Christ. That eternal view, that should help us to focus on eternal relationships and less so on the emotions experienced during disagreement and conflict in this short life. So after this encouragement in verse 1, Paul transitions into some instruction and application for the church. He says, I entreat Diodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the book of life. So relationships that are meaningful and deep, like those are the people that Paul's addressing here, relationships that have a foundation of love and truth and honesty, that is where we often experience conflict. With our, in our marriages, with our kids, our siblings, ministry partners, community group members, neighbors and coworkers, that is often where we have disagreements because we know each other so well. You might have a disagreement with a complete stranger, like uh, the guy who's coming around knocking on your door trying to sell you a new roof after a hailstorm. Um, but that guy, you know, is going to be moving on in a week or two, and you're never going to see him again. We need to show grace in that situation also, but that's not true conflict. True conflict comes with somebody in your community group. When there's a disagreement there, you know that you're going to see that person again pretty soon. So Paul's telling us to avoid deep relationships, right? No, of course not. As these relationships grow, as we grow closer together and deeper in our love for each other, we're to anticipate some level of conflict with those that we share life with. Don't be surprised by that. Be prepared to respond in love, to press on towards unity. And this requires some preparation of our hearts and our minds. And it requires a strength that can only come from the gospel, my most meaning relationships, and maybe you guys you know, the same way, are those that have experienced some sort of conflict or disagreement and where you've come through that conflict and you've addressed it in a way that as closely as possible mirrors the grace of God as shown through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Bethany and I, we actually had a pretty rough first year of marriage. We were pretty young. I was a newer believer. And we both look back and see that we had pretty wrong expectations of each other. Um, I was anticipating we'd get married and Bethany would help me fix all my issues. Fortunately, Bethany was thinking the exact same thing from me. That doesn't work out. Um, our issues did not disappear quickly, but praise God that the Lord worked mightily in our hearts and filled our lives with other couples who loved us and showed us how to serve each other in love and how to trust God alone to deal with our downfalls. Since that first year, I've had more disagreements with Bethany than with anybody else, just because we're always together. 
but we're constantly getting better at responding to those disagreements in a way that strengthens our relationship and actually improves our uh, unity instead of destroying it. So Bethany, my wife, um, she's my closest friend and ministry partner. And a lot of that is because of how the Lord has grown our ability and desire to press on towards unity and to be of one mind in the Lord. Okay, so we know that we can anticipate conflict with those that we're closest to, right? That's just being part of a church made up of saints who sin. Honestly, you know if they're letting four new guys stand up here and proclaim God's word, that at least one of us is going to say something you might not agree with, right? But how we, each of us, and the church as a whole, press on towards unity and respond to this conflict, that's the important part. Because we're instructed to agree in the Lord. Back in verse 2-2, Paul breaks this down for us a bit more, and he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Okay, so what's taking place in the Philippian church here in these verses? We know that Iodia um, and Syntyche, they're having a disagreement. They're having conflict. And it's impacting at least those two women. These are women who love each other. They, used to, they loved each other. They served together with Paul for the advancement of the gospel. In our church, this is women who teach Sunday school together. It's women who are in community group together, who go to heart to heart, and who bring their families together. For us guys, this is men who are in community group together. It's men who do men's ministry events, guys that hunt together and watch football and coach their kids' uh, sports teams. It's guys that unite their families in order to be able to invite others who don't know Christ and who are new to the church to a barbecue. And then these women had a disagreement that they couldn't address, that they couldn't resolve. They had conflict that was up to this point, they thought, unresolvable. We don't even know what this conflict was about, right? Perhaps they uh, disagreed on how to do uh, child care for their community group. Perhaps they disagreed politically and they unfriended each other on Facebook. Perhaps... After a while, Yodia just had a difficult personality and Syntyche couldn't deal with it anymore. Maybe Syntyche stole Yodia's best public land duck hunting spot. Perhaps um, Syntyche and Yodia, they disagreed on whether uh, maybe Yodia just figured out how to post a prayer request to the city and then Syntyche was like, hey, we're switching to the realm. <laughs> These are all pretty lighthearted examples, um, but maybe some of us can resonate with them. We don't know the source of the conflict. We can infer based on how Paul addresses sin and major theological error in other letters that it's not this type of conflict. Paul, in other books, in other letters to churches, he doesn't hold any punches when he's talking about sin and theology. So that leads us to believe that their conflict, their disagreement, was more in the line with these examples I just shared. It was just personal disagreement. It was hurt feelings. Okay, and so if Paul doesn't take the time to address what the conflict is about, then we shouldn't focus anymore on that either. We should focus on his plea for them to press on towards unity. Because this conflict divided these two women. And it ground to a halt their ministry that Paul describes as side by side with me in the gospel. And we know that the impact of such disunity and conflict doesn't just stop at the two parties, right? 
We all see it. We know something's going on. People start to ask questions. They start to wonder, hey, I wonder why Yodi and Sinekir are never, never at community group on the same night anymore. We start to take sides. And that heart of disunity, that heart of division, just continues to fester and boil in the church. So how does the call to press on in our faith, as we've been hearing throughout this entire series in Philippians, pertain to conflict? We're to press on towards unity. We're to press on towards reconciliation. We're to press on towards loving relationships, void of all pride and entitlement. There's action here. We're sinners saved by grace. The grace of our loving God, who while we were still sinners, sent his one and only son to be crucified in our place so that we can have an eternal relationship with our father. And as adopted sons and daughters, we not only have an eternal relationship with our father, but as Paul says in verse 320, our citizenship is in heaven forever. Our time on earth is short. There's no time for conflict that impedes the work of the gospel. So Paul is entreating Eodia, and he's entreating Syntyche. Paul is appealing and urging. He's not demanding, and he's not commanding. Paul's treaty for them is a plea to let the love of Christ control their hearts and their minds, and to press on towards unity and reconciliation. He entreats them to agree in the Lord. And not only does Paul entreat these two women, but he also all the other believers who know them, who share life with them. So maybe you can look at your life and you don't see relationships that are currently strained by some sort of disagreement and conflict. Honestly, perhaps that's a bit of a gut check that uh, maybe we need deeper relationships. Maybe we're not vulnerable enough through close relationships for anyone to really know us. But if that's not the case, and praise God, you just don't have any disunity or conflict in your life today, that doesn't mean we're off the hook in regards to pressing on towards unity. Do you know anyone in your community group that's in disagreement and conflict? Is there anyone that's avoiding each other because they're just not getting along right now? Anyone in this body, anyone in your extended circle of friends who are believers? Paul says in verse three, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Okay, let's transition a little bit now to look at how pressing on towards unity applies to all of us through the role of true companion. There's a little bit of disagreement on who Paul's addressing here. True companion, some people think it could be a proper name. It could be the carrier of this letter. It could be the elders of the church, but it also likely means all the saints in Christ Jesus. That's who Paul's addressing the letter of Philippians to. All the saints in Christ Jesus. And that's what we're rolling with here this morning. So if you're not able to personally relate with the disunity between Eodia and Syntyche, prayerfully consider your role as the true companion. We all have a role in unity and reconciliation of God's church. If we see disunity between people who we share life with, it is our place to press on towards their unity. As our role is that of a mediator. And our role as a mediator is not to take sides. Our role is to bring two people together, help them to listen to each other, help them to gain a better understanding of the other person's reasoning, 
and to look at their conflict with a biblical perspective instead of a perspective focused on how right they are or how much they've been wronged. One commentator I read invited us to put ourselves in Yodia and Syntyche's shoes. They get word in the, in the town of Philippi, in their neighborhood, that Paul has written a letter. Word spreads around. They all gather together in this house. They're sitting on the floor or standing up against the walls. Yodia's over here, glaring at Syntyche over here. And they're listening as they hear the words read, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. And as I hear that, Syneke's thinking to herself, boom, Yodia, I hope you heard that. And Yodia's thinking, Syneke, he's talking to you. But then, of course, a few minutes later, their perspective must have shifted radically as Paul, acting in the role of mediator, calls them out by name and entreats them individually to press on towards, uh, to agree in the Lord. It's pretty easy to apply scripture in a sermon like this to other people. It's all, for easy, it's all too easy for us to read, agree in the Lord, and to interpret that in our hearts and our minds as agree with me in the Lord. It's important for each of us to have some self-reflection and conviction when it comes to disagreements. And sometimes this requires the help of a true companion, the help of a mediator, a friend who is willing to bring the two conflicted parties together to talk and to listen and to pray and to help them shift their perspective back to one that starts with the realization that we're sinners saved by grace. And if our Lord is able and willing and excited to forgive us our sins, then who are we to hold on to disagreements that are destroying relationships and our gospel witness. We know that unity and reconciliation between believers is so important to our Lord. In John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, this is one of those verses that for me, it's so easy to sit in the morning and drink my coffee and read this verse, and then I just feel like I should send that text. You know, the one that starts, hey man, I don't know why, that's just how I start all my texts, but hey man, I was reading this this morning and the Lord put it on my heart to send it to you. And that's okay, that's, that's good to send those texts, but if we haven't first applied it to our own lives, we might want to hold on a little bit. So anyway, these verses, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge. That's the same word as entreat that Paul uses in Philippians. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the, worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We strive as a church to be united in one mind for the Lord in order that the saving grace of our Lord would be evident to those who are searching for truth. For those who are lost and don't know the amazing freedom that comes with accepting that Christ died for them, that Christ paid the penalty for all of their past, present, and future sins. 
and so that they can live a life free from condemnation and full of joy that only comes from being washed clean by the blood of Christ. The unity of the church should reflect that truth and love to everyone we interact with. So are you eager to maintain unity? Are you actively pressing on towards unity with others? So if we're eager to maintain unity, how does that desire to press on apply to us? What does it really look like? These verses this morning are about unity of believers by and through the grace of God. These verses are about pressing on towards unity and reconciliation, even when it's difficult. Because we are overwhelmed by the love that our Lord shows to us every day in the midst of our ugly and wicked sin. Paul is entreating these women and us to look first to the gospel. And as we meditate on the gospel daily, as Josh preached on a couple weeks ago, we're to, we're to be able to see, look through this lens of God's unending love and ask ourselves, is the source of this conflict too big to be covered by the blood of Christ? And if it's not, and it's not, right, then we are to press on towards unity. We're to pursue it boldly like Christ pursues us. We're to be eager for unity with others. We can't sit back and hope that this conflict will just go away. So what does this look like? We need to be quick to forgive. We need to be proactive in our forgiveness of others. Prayer, that's step one. We need to hit our knees and pray before the Lord. We need to confess our own sin. We need to forgive that other person before the Lord. We need to ask, God, what are you teaching me through this conflict? Is my pride getting in the way? Ask God to reveal these things to you, and he will. And after you have prayed, and after you've confessed your own sin, and after you've forgiven that other person, then talk to him. Oh, really? I don't want to do that. Do I have to? I'll pray and forgive him, but do I really have to talk to him? Okay, time out. Repeat step one, pray, forgive that person. Once you have truly forgiven them, then yeah, you have to talk to them. Sit down for over coffee, go for a walk, have a beer, confess your sin to them, and then listen with loving ears to what they have to say. And then the ultimate unifying force, pray together. Guys, pray together. Awkward. Yeah, sometimes for men, it can be kind of awkward. But until you have that type of relationship where you can confess to each other, where you can love each other, and where you can pray united as brothers in Christ, that's when we know we'll have these meaningful and honest relationships. And disunity, it manifests itself in different people in different ways, right? Some of you, you might be a little bit more like me, where our personality just tends to be um, a little more like a, a people-pleasing. We pick our battles wisely. At least that's what I like to tell myself. Really, I foster disunity sometimes by not addressing disagreement and hurt in a loving way. I just ignore disagreement and conflict and hurt, and then I ignore that person involved. That's not unity. That's not being eager to maintain unity. But because there's no open and confrontational conflict, I can think that unity is secure. Perhaps we need to be more bold in pursuing the uncomfortable conversations when disagreement does occur. And others of you, we, uh, we experience conflict or hurt, and our first desire is to win. We want to win that disagreement. 
We want to, regardless of the cost, we want to prove our rightness to the other person. Perhaps we need to be able to extend more grace. Many of us, I would um, guess all of us, have at times responded in a way that we desire not only to prove our rightness and justify ourselves to that other person, we want to justify ourselves to anybody who will listen. Can't do that. That's kind of my non-confrontational way of saying we can't gossip. There can be good in both of these approaches if done with a loving heart, in pursuing that tough conversation, and in holding back and showing grace. But for me, I know that my initial reaction to disagreement is often not through the lens of the gospel, but it's rather pretty self-serving and sinful. So I would encourage you to prayerfully reflect on how you respond to disagreement and whether unity is your first priority. Are you eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit? And then press on towards unity with others. As a community of believers, we should, as Paul states in verses 2, 2 through 8, he says, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's our model of humility. Christ is our model for forgiveness and sacrificial love, and Christ is our model for pressing on towards unity and reconciliation, right? How far did Christ go to pursue unity and reconciliation? He died for that And as with every other command in the Bible, this desire for unity, the Lord doesn't just say do it, but he gives us the power to do it through his Holy Spirit, and he gives us a perfect model for how to do it through Christ. So this morning, as we wrap up, is the Lord putting someone on your mind that you're in conflict with? Is there anybody that you're ignoring or avoiding because of disagreement and arguments and disunity? Is there disunity between you and another believer? Prayerfully confess your own sin and forgive that person before the Lord and then press on towards unity this week. And if you know of two believers in conflict, then press on towards the unity of those brothers and sisters through the role of true companion, through the role as the mediator. And the next time disagreement arises, because it will, be ready to reconcile that disagreement quickly through an eternal lens, knowing that the gospel covers all sin and conflict. And be strengthened by the Holy Spirit to have a loving and patient and grace-filled heart. Don't let disagreement become conflict and don't let conflict fester and destroy relationships and hinder our gospel ministry. As we grow in relationship with other believers, as we get to know each other better, as we share lives, we're to anticipate disagreement and differences. 
And we're to be ready in a, to respond in a way that reflects the gospel, which is far greater than ourselves. Unity is joyful. It's fun to be united. Unity brings joy to us, and it brings joy to our Lord. Unity strengthens the gospel testimony of each of us and of God's entire church. So press on towards Christ-centered love and unity. Let's pray. God, we praise you for your living and active word. We praise you for your um, direction and your heart for unity. God, I pray that you would strengthen us through your Holy Spirit to respond this week in a way that uh, reflects your gospel. If there's disunity in our hearts and disunity in our lives, Lord, that we would press on so that our gospel testimony would not be hindered by disunity, so that when we interact with people who don't know your love and grace, that they wouldn't question our gospel testimony because of our disunited hearts. And Lord, I pray that each person here would grow in their love and desire for you, and that we would grow closer together as a church, and that we would grow closer to you each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. stand and close our service together. It's only because of what Christ has done on the cross, as Dan just reminded us, that we can have forgiveness um, with him, reconciliation with him that gives us the power to have reconciliation with each other. sing to him.
was condemned But you took the blame You bore my shame, set me free We have one who humbled himself for us that he might reconcile us with the Father. He came to us first um, when he had no blame. He took it for us so that he could reconcile us with the Father. And so in that power, um, we can go and we can go to one another and find unity. He sought unity with us first um, when we would have nothing to do with him. And so we need to do the same with our brothers and sisters. Um, And even though he bids us go and sin no more, he gives us power to do so. Um, in his spirit. He gives us power to um, reconcile. And so um, let us go, um, strive and press on for that unity. And uh, one way we can do that is just by being together. And we get to be together um, now in a park um, where there'll be maybe some good, healthy competition. We can still seek unity in that, you know, by dethroning um, the, the Sheltons from the spike ball championship. Um, we can seek unity and all that. So, uh, just encourage us all to be a body together there. Um, we can fellowship with one another and, um, yeah. And so, so just, uh, we could do all that, um, by the power of Jesus. So have a great week and hope to see you in a couple minutes at the park. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.